You're listening to another premier old-time radio program at Pedango.com and also a proud member of the Blueberry Community. Another Humphrey Camardella production. Hi, this is Kim Bragg, and up next is my good buddy, Walden Hughes. Here at Captain Midnight from January 8th, 1949. Captain Midnight, brought to you every day, Monday through Friday, by the makers of Ovaltine, the world's largest selling food drink. Now, I wonder if you ever said to yourself, I wish I weren't so tired. I don't see why I should be so tired. I didn't used to be. Well, if you've said that, and most of us have at one time or another, you might think about this. It's possible, it's even likely, that what I'm going to ask you now may point out the cause of your tiredness. And the question is, are you getting the right amount, are you getting plenty of every one of those important food elements you must have to keep you from feeling tired, keep you feeling keen and vigorous? And when you ask yourself that question, am I getting plenty of all the food elements I need, I'm sure you'll find right there. You don't know the answer. We only need very tiny amounts of some of these food elements. Hardly more than you can put on the point of a knife. But, and this is the serious thing, if we don't get them, and get them every day, we're bound to be tired, and we can't possibly feel vigorous and full of pep. But now, there is a way, a simple way, to be sure you get these food elements. Yes, you know what I'm going to say. Just try drinking Ovaltine. Just drink Ovaltine as a supplementary food. Extra food in addition to your regular meals. Because Ovaltine is rich in important food elements. The common ones, the rarer ones. Particularly the ones that are most likely to be short in your regular diet. And so, when you drink two glasses of Ovaltine a day as a supplementary food, you're practically sure to have all the food elements you need for really good health and peak vitality. So, why don't you do something about this business of being tired? Why don't you try drinking Ovaltine regularly for a while and see if it doesn't help fix you up? See if you don't feel better on the days you drink it. And now... On with the action-packed adventure, the return of Ivan Shark with Captain Midnight and the Secret Squadron. Yesterday, when the moon arose, the Secret Squadron saw that they were surrounded by an evil-looking and menacing horde of prehistoric cavemen. A magnificent shot by Captain Midnight wounded the chief of the tribe, and at least for the time being... Drove them back into the jungle. Well, now it's a few minutes later. Listen, as Captain Midnight says... Yes, Aki. If they should come in a great mass swarming up the tree, I... I don't think we could drive them back. And even if we did, the slaughter would be horrible. Well, do you think they have brains enough, sir, to, to, to work out a plan of campaign of that sort? They look more like animals than, than human beings. You can say that again, Chuck. Well, Chuck, when they go hunting some of the bigger animals, they probably surround and overwhelm them by sheer weight of numbers. And I imagine they can do an awful lot of damage with those clubs. Yeah, and some of them carried spears, sir. Yes, I noticed they did. You mean, Captain, because they've learned to hunt animals in a kind of pack, that's the way they'll hunt us? Well, it's possible, Icky. Do you think they'll be able to stand up against the, the concentrated fire of the four of us? Oh, gee, sir, we ought to be able to pour out enough lead to... Well, heck, it'll be slaughtered. Well, that's just it, Chuck. I, 
I want to avoid what'll be a terrible slaughter. They are men, you know. Yeah, but if they attack us, sir, Loop and Loops, if they ever took us prisoners... Look, Captain, we didn't start this. And heck, all I want to know is if we have to defend this tree against attack, can we? Or will there be too many of them? And will they come too fast? If they attack us, Icky, we've got to defend this tree. The alternative is something we mustn't even think about. Yes, Captain Midnight is tempted to rake the edges of the jungle with bursts of concentrated fire, but the knowledge that these are men and not animals restrains him. Only as a last resort will he give the order to fire. Then, just as the sounds in the distance reach an angry, sullen roar, and he's pretty sure an attack is about to be launched, a strange and unforeseen diversion comes. Slowly lumbering out of the swamp, an iguanodon, the huge 50-ton lizard-like animal that they had seen the previous night, draws its huge bulk out into the clearing. The ape men at once grow silent, apparently watching the prodigious beast. With a kind of earth-shaking, ungainly hop, it reaches the center of the clearing. And then, as if they had only been waiting for the huge, evil-smelling animal to reach a certain given distance from the swamp, the cavemen pour out to the attack. There's no question now that when they did attack, they attacked in a swarming pack, men and women together. Horrified but fascinated, the members of the secret squadron watched the weird prehistoric battle. Iguanodon versus caveman. Oh, look at those ape men. Go, look at them. Go. Are they fast? Loop and loops. Look at the one with the spear almost underneath us. They got guts, Captain. You've got to give them that. Uh-oh. Not having it all their own way. Look at that lashing tail. It knocked four of them for a loop halfway across the clearing. They're drawing back. Forming a sort of circle. They egg me down again. It's making for the swamp trying to get back. Well, they'll never kill us. They're going to try. Uh-oh. Look at that hail of clubs and spears. Oh, boy, look at that tail go lashing from side to side. That must weigh two tons, Captain. Look, look. One of the cavemen is climbing up its back. And there goes another. He's stabbing it down near the neck. I can't stand this. We'll try and put the poor beast out of its misery. What are you aiming for, Captain? Its head? Yes, Icky. Oh, that'll take some shooting waving around like it is. Are those mountainous beasts are so small brain, they'll probably have to shoot it through the heart, too. Well, here goes. <laughs> You got him, sir. What a shot. Oh, boy, what shooting. Hey, it's, its head is still waving around, Captain. Here's one through the heart, I hope. Oh, that's done it, Captain. That's done it. It's keeling over. Hey, do those monkey men think they killed the Igme down all by themselves, Captain? Listen to them shout and look at them dancing around. Well, I'm afraid that's just what they do, think, Iggy. And I was hoping that if we helped them, they'd realize we weren't enemies. Perhaps leave us alone. Look at them dancing and shouting. They think they killed it themselves. There's no doubt about that, Captain. Why, how stupid. Hey, hey, the one that climbed up its back and stabbed it in the neck. Look at him pound himself on the chest. <laughs> he thinks he did it. <laughs> he thinks he's a champ, all right. All he needs is a microphone to say, hey, Mom, it was a good fight. <laughs> Human nature hasn't changed much, has it? Hey, you stupid monkey man. The captain did it for you. And you, Tarzan, take that stupid grin off your face. <laughs> okay, Iggy, okay. Instead of getting all worked up, just keep your fingers crossed that the cavemen will be so busy they'll forget about us. Yeah, I'm with you there, Captain, 100%. And for a time, it looks as if Captain Midnight's wish is going to be granted. The cave men and women swarm over the monstrous body of the lizard-like Iguanodon and attack it with crude flint knives. Captain Midnight is beginning to think that for the rest of this night anyway, they will be ignored. When stumbling out of the jungle comes the wounded chief. He's apparently in a frenzy of rage. He shouts and waves his club until some sort of order is restored. And then, dramatically, he points toward the tree where the secret squadron are hiding. Captain Midnight, watching this piece of pantomime, says, Uh-oh. Old Beetle Browse is on the warpath again. And boy, he means trouble. It looks as if he's been lying back in the woods getting madder and madder, and he's suddenly come to the boiling point, don't he, Captain? It certainly does. <laughs> also, it looks as if shaking the fist is one gesture that hasn't changed since the dawn of time. Oh, oh, 
I wonder what this means. Look, they're following them back into the woods. Yeah, maybe it's a conference of some sort. Loop and loops. Golly, I wish we could understand what they say. That'd really be interesting. Maybe old Beetle Browse, as you call him, sir, is going to make a speech. Speech? Uh, all he can make is animal noises. Animal <laughs> noises that his followers evidently understand, Dickie. And that's a sort of speech, isn't it, sir? The beginning of speech, anyway. I know what he was yelling out down there, that's for sure. It was written all over his monkey-faced pan. What's that, Icky? Kill, kill, kill. Kids, look. They mean trouble, all right. They're spreading out in a circle, just under cover of the underbrush. Surrounding us again, huh, Captain? Getting ready for the final attack or I'll miss my bet. Well, Icky, you can call your sounds animal noises if you like. But they certainly understood what the chief meant and what he wanted. And they're going to carry out his orders. And what of Ivan Shark all this time? The arch-criminal heard the first volley that drove the cavemen back into the jungle. Also, the two shots with which Captain Midnight ended the agony of the huge Iguanodon... Does he know how close to success his plot has come? Listen. <laughs> oh, Gardo, what I'd give at this moment to have a huge tank I could drive out there and watch what was going on. I wouldn't feel safe even in a tank, boys. Not with those gorilla-faced statemen crawling all over it. Oh, nonsense. They're very strong, I admit, but not strong enough to tear open a 20-ton tank. Uh, think they're swarming up that tree yet, boss? Possibly, Gardo. But I doubt if they started the final attack yet. The firing would be much heavier. Would come in almost continuous volleys. But it does mean the secret squadron has been discovered. And that is the beginning of the end. <laughs> ah, sure they've been discovered. When I lays a trail, boss, I lays a trail. And almost give the whole plan away by sticking your stupid head up to get shot at. Oh, it wasn't me that got shot, boss. It was Mew. And that was just a lucky one. They must have seen the branches moving at the edge of the clearing or, or something. It was you blundering around like a dumb ox that attracted their attention. I'm sure of that. Mew can slip through the underbrush without disturbing a leaf. Ah, oh, now, boss, why pick on me when I done right? To keep you from imagining, even for one instant, Gardo, that you have even half the brain of an imbecile. That's it. That must be it. They're attacking Gardo. If I could only be there to lead them towards the man. Go to it, my brave cavemen. My primitive tribe of strong-armed gorillas. Swarm up the trees by tens, by twenties, by hundreds. Pour over them in an irresistible flood of mighty arms and strong, hairy bodies. On! On to victory! <laughs> And is Shark's analysis of the situation correct? Are the cavemen pouring a living stream of horror across the clearing up to the tree? Listen as Captain Midnight talks to the others just a few moments before the series of volleys which Shark just heard. Kids, we saw how the cavemen attacked the Iguanodon, swarming out in numbers around and over it. Well, there's little doubt that that's their usual method of overwhelming their enemies. That I'm almost sure is the way they'll attack us. I'll go along with you on that, Captain, if you'll add that they'll come swinging a mess of clubs that must weigh a hundred pounds apiece. Yeah, to say nothing of a few spears. Yeah. Can't we stop them before they start, sir? There must be some way to do it. Well, I hate to say shoot to kill, yet... Wait, supposing we fire a couple of volleys over their heads, it might scare them off before they start. And if it don't? In that case, there's no harm done. And... Well, then we won't have any other alternative. We'll have to mow them down as fast and in as great numbers as possible. And no fooling about it, sir. And no fooling about it, Chuck. All right, kids. Let's give them three quick volleys. One over there by that tree that's fallen into the clearing. One over there to the right. And one to the left. Fire well above the height of a standing man. Ready? Right. Right, Captain. <laughs> peep out of them. I don't even see them moving around much. Oh, not a sound. Well, maybe they just thought it was a clap of thunder. Remember, they do want it on, Chuck. They don't scare very easily. Yeah, that's just what I've been thinking. Look out, gang. Huh? Reload quickly. Here they come. 
mass attack of the cavemen has started. Will the secret squadron succeed in driving them back? Or will Ivan Shark's plot succeed? And what about Andy Maxson and the rescuing helicopter? Don't miss tomorrow's thrill-packed adventure, The Rescue. In a moment, we'll bring you an exciting glimpse of it. But first, every one of you fellows and girls who's a young adventurer, everyone who likes to fly and fight with Captain Midnight, remember Ovaltine is the drink of adventure lovers the world over. It's a real builder-upper food drink to make you bigger and stronger and huskier and ready for adventure. And it's a swell-tasting food drink, too. So why not go out to the kitchen now and fix yourself a big, delicious glass full of chocolate-flavored Ovaltine and start enjoying it tonight. Remember, it's the one sure way to show Captain Midnight you like to listen to his adventures on the radio. Captain Midnight is played by Ed Prentice. Icky is played by Sherman Marks. And tune in tomorrow, same time, same station, to Captain Midnight when you are here. Don't stop firing, kids. I'm trying to find the chief, but there's such a mess of little... Look out! They're coming on again! Program was transcribed. This program came to you from Chicago. All right, well, then step up to the microphone and do your thing. Here's another part of the Norman Corwin interview. In those days, this is before taping, and uh, everything had to be live. So the entire cast, with the exception of Orson Welles, if I mentioned him as a member of the cast, yes. he had a prominent role in it. And he was shooting a movie, fortunately not very far out of town. And uh, he, uh, no, he told me that he'd be late. Uh, he wouldn't be there at the start of the broadcast, but uh, he would be there in time, he hoped, for dress rehearsal at least. And so, the, you know, these things were all done in one day. Uh, it had a very fine musical score, which had been written for it by uh, Bernard Herrmann, uh, a great uh, one. I think he was the greatest of the radio composers. Uh, and uh, that, there was a separate music rehearsal, but the actors all got together. They were all there in the studio. And it went very smoothly, but I'll, uh, since... Uh, this may be of interest to you and your listeners. Um, when Orson arrived, it was quite late. We were into dress rehearsal, and there would be an interval of about uh, 12 minutes between the end of the dress rehearsal and going on the air, so that whatever changes would come uh, from the uh, dress rehearsal, whether it ran too long or not long enough, or if there were things to be changed, it all had to be done very quickly. And Orson was no no place in sight. When we were in the rehearsal, Orson came, was due to enter the program at about halfway through. And we were just approaching that when the man I had stationed outside in the parking lot, to uh, Orson had never seen the script. And he, I had a man in the parking lot to, as soon as Orson arrived, stepping out of his car he would be handed the script. Now, Orson arrived. He was handed the script. He came through the door exactly one minute and uh, about a one minute and a quarter before his cue, and he had no time to read it. He went up to the mic and read it cold, and he was magnificent, so much so that the balance of the cast, which included all those stars, broke into applause after his reading. Uh, when we went on the air, it did not have quite that fervor because he had used it all up in, in the dress <laughs> rehearsal. But it was still good. Uh, the listener to the broadcast it had no measure, no way of comparing it with what he had done in dress rehearsal. But it was, most, it was the most remarkable cold reading first reading I have ever heard from any actor at any time on any property. How did uh, 
How did you get the president on? Was that another line from that, Washington? No, that, 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 you know, there, there was a, uh, that came from three cities, actually. The main, the dramatic end of the broadcast all came from Studio A here at KNX in Los Angeles. The, there was the uh, New York Philharmonic Orchestra under the conductor Leopold Stokowski was in New York, and they played the anthem at one point. And that, so it was, the the control went from from Hollywood to New York. Then the president was picked up in uh, in uh, Washington, and the president, because of the uh, because of the uh, war emergencies, had not heard the program that preceded him. He was in meeting until that moment, so he was much uh, taken by surprise when he heard it the next day. It was a powerful program, I, I, I like to think, and according to the reaction and the very fact that Larry remembers it this well and uh, and uh, you remember it this well uh, makes it uh, makes me feel that I, I guess uh, it uh, met its 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 uh, it fulfilled its mission. All right, Walden, step up to the microphone and do your thing. Here Cavalcade of America. Presenting Faye Bainter and Ray Collins on the DuPont Cavalcade of America. Tonight's Cavalcade play is called Witness for the People and is brought to you by the DuPont Company, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. One of those better things is Speed Easy, the DuPont wall finish that is so easy to use over wallpaper or any other wall surface. It comes in 11 beautiful colors. One easy coat will cover soiled, dingy wallpaper, so your rooms will look bright and cheery again. Speed Easy is a cinch to use. You thin it with water and apply it with a large brush or roller. It dries in less than an hour. Speed Easy is made by DuPont. Good evening, friends. This is Walter Houston. Yesterday, I was telling a friend of mine who works on a newspaper about this evening's cavalcade play. I told him it was about a woman who fought to win freedom for the press. And he said, Walter, you should have put on that show last week. It would have been more appropriate then. It was Freedom of the Press Week. Well, frankly, I had to disagree with him because, to my way of thinking... A free press is something we ought to thank God for every day of every week in the year. Why do you suppose the Nazis made bonfires of the very same books you will find in the bookstore around the corner? Why do you suppose Japanese newspapers are forced to carry stories about successful Jap invasions of California? It's because tyrants are afraid of the power of a free press. So I say again, our cavalcade play tonight is more than appropriate. It tells the exciting story of Anne Royal, a woman who helped our nation win its battle for freedom of the press. And now, the DuPont Company presents the talented and lovely Faye Painter as Anne Royal with Ray Collins as President Andrew Jackson in Witness for the People. people laughed at Anne Royal. Some pretended not to hear, but everyone did hear all the same. It was even heard in the president's mansion. And there on a day early in spring, Andrew Jackson, seventh president of the United States, is talking to his secretary of war, John Eaton. I still think you ought to see her, Mr. President. By the eternal John, since when it has been the function of the Secretary of War to make appointments for me to see any old busybody who happens to run a printing press. Well, this isn't just any old busybody. This is Anne Royal. I don't care if it's the fellow who invented the printing press. I'm a busy man. But maybe she can help us. We've got the fight of our lives on our hands with this United States bank crowd. And as I've said before... The pen is mightier than the sword. What are you doing as Secretary of War, if that's what you think? Well, one doesn't have to choose between them, you know. 
I was talking to Mrs. Eaton about this woman. Peggy says she's a real power in Washington. And she's no fool either. She knows what you're trying to do, and she believes in you. Peggy say that? Yeah, she did. The least you can do is see her. You waste enough time seeing politicians who want offices. Well, all right. Let her come in. Come in, Mrs. Royal. I thought you were the president that anyone could see any time. Mistress Royal? Yes. Mind if I sit down? Oh, sit down by all means, ma'am. I'm as tired as a Mississippi mule tramping around these streets. All right, John. Well, Mistress Royal, what can I do for you? What can you do for me? Did you ever hear of the power of the press? I know. The pen is mightier than the sword. Well, don't you believe it? Well, maybe I'm a little biased, ma'am. I'm a soldier. Well, I'm a printer, so we ought to get along famously. Now, General, you don't mind if I call you General, do you? Anything you wish, ma'am. I'm a printer, as I've said. A sort of one-woman newspaper, you might say. I suppose you've seen some of the broadsides I put out? I have, ma'am. Yeah. And I can see you don't think much of them. Neither do I. And that's why I'm here. Well, you'll forgive me, ma'am, if I fail to see the connection. It's just this. The other day, I suddenly thought to myself, since Andrew Jackson moved to Washington, there are more important things happening here than courtships and scandals and all that kind of flapdoodle. And it's the duty of anyone who has anything to do with the printing press to find out about them and tell the people about them. And I thought the best place to find out was right here. You follow me? Yes. Now, the big issue today is this United States bank business. What is it? Who's behind it? And why are you fighting it? Well, what are you going to do if I tell you? Print the truth about it. How do you know I'll tell you the truth? I don't. But I'll find out. Hmm. Sounds fair enough. All right, I'll tell you. It's a simple story, an old familiar story, I'm afraid. The United States Bank controls the finances and the credit of the United States. It can issue money and withdraw it. It can cause panics and it can cause booms. The United States Treasury has to keep the government's money in that bank and pay for the privilege. And it's all owned by a few at the expense of many. You mean the government and the people don't have any say about it at all? Nary a say. Well, they ought to. That's what I say, and that's where the fight begins. Why can't Congress do something about it? They could. In fact, they're the only ones who can. Then why don't they? Well, you see, lately the banks got in the habit of loaning money to congressmen. Do you mean to tell me there are congressmen who won't vote against the bank because they owe money to it? I can't prove that. But it wouldn't surprise me if it might have something to do with it. Well, all the white-livered, thieving scoundrels. Who are they? You know which ones are fighting me on this issue, don't you? I think I do. Look here, General. You haven't had much luck fighting these fellows with the sword, have you? The laws being what they are? No, ma'am. I have a feeling that when I get through, you'll begin to agree with me about the power of the pen. It'll have to be a mighty sharp pen, ma'am. It is, General. It is. Extra printing and Royal's latest paper all about the United States bank scandal. Penny of print, United States bank scandal. Penny of print, Penny of print. immediate public investigation of the affairs of the United States Bank. We have lately heard charges against this institution in the public print, which, if true, indicate a threat to our freedom as great as any since the war for independence. This issue can no longer be called a political war. many copies you want this time, Miss Royal? How many have you printed so far? Mm, about 1,500. Better run off another 500 or so if you're not too tired. We never seem to have enough nowadays. And you ought to get them sleep. I will, Sally. As soon as these are run off. 2,000 papers, then. It doesn't seem possible we'll sell them. We will, though. And wish we'd printed more. And listen. Who's that on the stairs? Sounds like visitors. 
probably some idiot that got kicked by a horse and wants to be sure I printed it in the paper. Well, don't you knock when you enter a house, or do you always break in? Good evening, Mistress Royal. Who are you men, and what do you want? We've come to discuss a matter of business, Mistress Royal. Certain friends of ours are anxious to go into the printing business. Well, why don't they, if they have the wits to? They're particularly anxious to acquire this property of yours, this press and so on. Well, they can't have it. Good night. They're willing to pay very handsomely, provided you remain here as, uh, shall we say, manager. And uh, consult with them, of course, on the nature of your future publication. I thought so. What makes you think you can bribe me? Who do you think I am? One of their thieving politicians? You go back and tell your friends that I wouldn't touch such a filthy proposition, not if I was starving in the gutter. Now get out, all of you, get out. You refuse, then? Refuse? I not only refuse, but I intend that the people of Washington shall know tomorrow morning why I have refused and what I have refused. Now clear out. All right, boys. Smash up that What are you doing? Fire to that paper. Just a minute, just a minute. Look, she's, uh, she's got pistols. Indeed, I have got pistols, and I didn't grow up on the frontier without learning how to use them. Go ahead, boys. I'll handle this. One more step. Very well. That one's through your hat. The next one will be through your gizzard. Now get out. Uh, maybe we'd better. All right. Come on, boys. But I warn you, Anne Royal, that we're going to smash you if we have to buy the whole city of Washington to do it. The next time you call on me, watch out for skunk trap. a woman get out a newspaper with that going on all day and half the night. Now, Anne, I'm sure Mr. Sims and his folks mean all right. But why in the name of all that's frightful do they have to set up shop right under me? Well, Anne, worse things could happen. Nothing worse could happen. Anne, listen. They're coming up here. They are. They are. think you're doing? Sister Royal, we have come to save your soul. Save my soul? Get out of here while you can still save your skin. Now, oh, and... sister, I see that we have come none too soon. We have heard grievous reports of late of your unbridled tongue. Listen, mister, I'm a hard-working, God-fearing woman who's trying to run a newspaper and serve her country as best she knows how. But I can stand only so much, and Down please. on your knees, sister. What? Down on your knees. What? Here, help me, brother. Why, let go of me. Let go you of me. You must, sister. Where's my umbrella? No! Why, you why, you headed lord brain symbol. You hypocritical old buzzard. You heard me, you brother. You're a election stealer. Get out of here you before can't. I wrap this umbrella around your turkey neck. No. You've broken the law, Mrs. Royal. Do you hear me? You've broken the law. You're a witness, brother. You're Get out of here before I break your neck. So, you've had your turn all these months, Mrs. Royal. Now we're going to have ours. The president will see you now, Mrs. Royal. Thank you. Come in. Come in, Mrs. Royal. Thank you, Mr. President. Well... It's a fine pickle you've got yourself into now. The United States versus Anne Royal. They tell me there's a warrant issued against you for being a common scold. Yes. I guess I walked right into the trap and slammed the door behind me. Common scold. I don't believe that charge has been used in 50 years. It's all trumped up. Something they dug up out of the Middle Ages, but it's still on the book. You think the bank crowd put this fellow Sims up to it, do you? I know it for a fact. Of course, I can't prove it. You know, between us, we've got that bank worried. Yes, but the trouble is, right now, they've got me worried. My trial comes up in three days. And you know what the legal penalty is if I'm convicted? Well, theoretically, it's the ducking stool. Yes, you're right. And they're building one right now down at the Navy. By the Eternal. Well, that's one thing I can do something about. I may not have much control over the United States Bank yet. But I surely do control the United States Navy. Oh, they're not going to use it. They just did that to scare me. But there are things they can do. Mistress Royal, you know that I'll do anything I can to help you. Now, 
What can I do? That's what I've come to talk to you about, General. Not because of any help I may have been to you in this fight against the bank. I'm in that fight because it's the plain duty of any honest journalist. Why I did come to you in this, they're going to try to shut down my press. And that makes it different. And they can do it. With fines, bonds to keep the peace, injunctions, yes, they can. And that makes it an attack not on me, but on the Constitution of the United States that guarantees a free press in this country. That's why I've come to you. By the eternal. Why, I'll go down to that courtroom and I'll tell those scoundrelly sea lawyers... No, no, no. Your going down there would do more harm than good. But maybe you could just let the court know somehow that, well, you know Anne Royal. And that you know she's an honest, truthful woman. You can depend on that. I've got a little ammunition of my own. But it's you I'll count on most. I... I don't know how I'll do it, ma'am. But one thing you can be sure of, I will do it. You are listening to Faye Bainter and Ray Collins in Witness for the People on the Cavalcade of America, brought to you by the DuPont Company, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. Back in 1830, Fiery Ann Royal published a penny newspaper that exposed a national scandal. Naturally, there were those who realized it would be to their advantage to keep her quiet. But as our story now reveals... Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye! The Federal Court of the District of Columbia is now in session. Oh, Ann, I'm scared. I don't feel too chipper myself. Look at that jury. Every one of them is hooked up at the bank some way. The clerk will call the first case. The case of the United States versus Anne Royal. The defendant is charged by the people of the United States with being a common disturber of the peace, a common brawler, and a common scold. How does the defendant plead? What do you think I plead to such nonsense? Not guilty. Please, Mistress Royal, as your attorney, I... Order in the court. The prosecutor will call the first witness. Mr. Alexander Sims to the stand. Raise your right hand. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you, God? I do. Uh, Mr. Sims, you are a minister of the gospel, are you not? I am. He's no more a minister than I am. (laughs) Order! Mr. Royal, I must caution you against such outbursts in this court. Uh, Proceed, Mr. Swan. Uh, And on the day of the war and charges... You visited Mistress Royal with certain others at the place of her business, did you not? I did. And was it at that time that she used the vile and abusive language of which you complain? Indeed it was, sir. What did she say? Well, I... Go on. Go on. Tell them. They'll see that much is true anyway. <laughs> Mistress Royal. Well, she said I was a, 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 a large... Brain simpleton and uh, a, hip- a hypocritical old buzzard. <laughs> and a pumpkin headed, penny filching collection stealer. Please, please, Mr. Royal. The defendant must not interrupt the testimony. Uh-uh. That will be all, Mr. Simmons. Does the defense wish to cross examine? Go on, go on. Ask him what I told you to. But, Mistress Royal, it's not admissible as evidence. Well, then I'll ask him. Oh. Acting as my own attorney, Your Honor. I'd like to ask the witness just one question. Proceed, Mrs. Royal. Mr. Sims, did you, or didn't you, recently acquire five shares of stock in the United States Bank? Why, yes. What I... I object. The question is completely irrelevant to the indictment. Objection sustained. Irrelevant, is it? I suppose it's irrelevant that you, Your Honor, were loaned $10,000 by the United States Bank the day before this trial opened. Mistress Royal, one more such outburst, and I shall hold you in contempt of court. But it's true. And you may hold me in contempt of court if you like. For I have the most complete contempt for this court and everything it stands for. Mr. Prosecutor, have you any further witnesses to call against Anne Royal? No, Your Honor, I haven't. The prosecution rests. The defense may call its first witness. Uh, Your Honor, Sit down. Sit down. I'll handle this. 
Your Honor, there's just one witness I should like to call in my own defense if he is present. And that is Mr. John Eaton, the Secretary of War. Mistress Royal, I must remind you again that a court of law is no place for idle pleasantries. This is no pleasantry, Your Honor. Sally, where is he? I don't know. Is Mr. John Eaton here? If you will proceed with your defense, Mistress Royal. One moment, Your Honor. Sally. Why, it's old Eaton himself. What do you think? Secretary of War. I knew he wouldn't say anything. He's here, Sally. Mr. Secretary. Do I understand that you are here to testify on behalf of this defendant? I am. We are honored, I assure you, Mr. Secretary. Uh, will you take the stand, please? Certainly. Raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. Proceed, Mr. Eaton. Your Honor, what I have to say will not take long. I come here to speak on behalf of the defendant, Anne Royal, as her friend. I have known Mistress Royal for many years, and whatever her faults, I know her to have one virtue which far overbalances any faults. I know that when Anne Royal speaks, she speaks the truth, openly and fearlessly. It is my sincere hope, gentlemen, this fact may be not without influence in your judgment of this case. Oh, Anne, wasn't it wonderful? Sally, I don't care now. They send me to jail for life. They can't convict you now. Oh, yes, they can. It's not what they hear, but what they get that influences those gentlemen. Does the defense have anything additional to add? Just a word to the jury, Your Honor, if I may. Proceed. Gentlemen of the jury, I know what you think of me. I know it's useless to appeal to your chivalry or any of that nonsense. But one thing I must say to you. This is a trumped-up charge. It was brought to close my newspaper. Remember that when you render your verdict. And one thing else, remember. There is a document called the Constitution of the United States. The First Amendment to that document guarantees as a foremost privilege of Americans the freedom of speech and of the press. Remember this, gentlemen of the jury. And while you are pondering what vengeance you will wreak upon Anne Royal... Ponder also, if you attack your constitution, what vengeance posterity may wreak upon you. Gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? We have. I'll find you the defendant and royal. Guilty or not guilty? Guilty. Anne, you must try to rest. Haven't I been resting? No, dear. You've got a little fever in the excitement of the trial and all. What time is it? It's late. It's almost midnight. I suppose in the morning they'll come to take the press away. Take the furniture, too, most likely. What are we going to do, Anne? I don't know. We'll get along somehow. Always have. I don't see how they could have done it to you. And after what Mr. Eaton said. He did his best. It was money that did it. Money to buy judges and juries. But to fine you so much... When they knew you couldn't pay. That's what they got me up there for. To shut me up. Looks like they've just about done it, too. Tomorrow they'll take the press. And there's someone on the stairs. You don't suppose they'd come for it tonight, do you? Open the door, Sally. Good evening, Mistress Royal. Why, General. I'm... I'm sorry it's so late. There was a cabinet meeting. I came as soon as I could. General, Mr. President, you didn't have to come to me. I heard what happened. I just wanted to tell you that your fine was paid. 
some folks that uh, were grateful for what you'd done. Yes, uh, they got up the money. You don't owe me that, Jim. I thought you'd want to know that now they can't attach any of your property. Take your press or anything. Thank you. And by the way, you know I think we finally got that bank crowd licked. Have you? Yeah. Talking to some of the boys this evening. Oh, it's going to take time, of course. But we've got them. I'm glad. I thought you'd be. You know, General, I've been kind of sassy to you sometimes. Considering you're president of the United States. Why, I don't recollect it, ma'am. I have, though. But you know. It's just my way. I know, I know. And, General, now that you've found me in a weak moment, I just want you to know that old Anne Royal thinks you're a really great man. Folks will remember you, General, for a long time. Why... Thank you, Mistress Royal. I think folks will remember you, too. Our thanks to you, Faye Bader. Ray Collins, and to all other members of tonight's DuPont Cavalcade. You know, when a plane has to make a forced landing, it's bad any time. But to be forced down in the Pacific is particularly tough because you're either at sea or in dense jungle, with which you must hack your way back to safety. While flyers are supplied with combat emergency rations, like other soldiers on active duty, they sometimes have to live off the land and kill small game for food when they're forced down. The only gun a flyer can carry when he bails out, crash lands on water or jungle, is a pistol. Gain Whitman has some interesting facts for you about special ammunition for these pistols. The Remington Arms Company, a DuPont affiliate, has developed a special pistol cartridge just for the purpose Mr. Houston just mentioned, to kill small game for food. Ordinarily, as you know, a pistol shoots a solid bullet. The new ammunition developed by Remington Arms is a cartridge which shoots more than a hundred shot pellets. Tests by Remington's technical division show that the new caliber 45 cartridge puts an average of more than half of these pellets into a 30-inch circle at a distance of 40 feet. It is the first cartridge of this caliber and type to be developed. The case is of brass with a thin waterproof top wad held in place by crimping. The cartridge is a little longer than the regulation caliber 45 combat cartridge because extra space is needed for a heavy powder charge for killing small game. For that reason, it must be fired one shot at a time because the cartridge is too long to fit into the clip magazine of the pistol. That's good, though, because a man can shoot an animal or bird for food, and then quickly snap the magazine loaded with regular cartridges back into his gun so as to be ready for anything that might happen. A Japanese sniper, for instance. The new cartridges offer a better chance of survival to a flyer adrift at sea, too, because seagulls and other overwater birds can be brought down with them. Every flyer's jungle kit now contains two waterproofed boxes of these new shot cartridges developed by the Remington Arms Company. As a result of long experience... Remington Arms makes the right ammunition for every kind of game and every make of gun. And now here is Walter Houston. Uh, next week, DuPont Cavalcade is the authentic story of a girl you may know. She may have been your next-door neighbor, the girl who left your town to go overseas with the Red Cross as a clubmobile girl. She probably told you that her work was to laugh and joke with the men to make them forget about the war. Well, she left this country and was assigned to an air base in New Guinea. And there she found the work of a clubmobile girl was not only laughing and joking with the men, was not only serving donuts, coffee, and bug juice to the men at the end of their missions, but more. She found that she had become an important non-combat member of a team of American young men and women fighting this war. Listen with us to this exciting and moving story of the American Red Cross clubmobile workers next Monday evening when we present the lovely and talented Lana Turner... In Donut Girl. Thank you and good evening.
Ray Bainter, star of tonight's cavalcade, is currently working in the Paramount picture, The Virginian. Ray Collins will soon be seen in Universal's Can't Help Singing. The music on tonight's cavalcade was composed and conducted by Robert Ombrister. This is Gain Whitman inviting you to tune in next week to Donut Girl, starring Lana Turner. Brought to you by the E.I. DuPont de Nemours Company of Wilmington, Delaware. Broadcasting Company. All right, Walden, step up to the microphone and do your thing. That was Cavalcade of America. I'm Wong Hughes, and may the good Lord Jesus Christ bless you. And this is Yesterday, USA. If you would like to get in contact with Walden, his email is walden1 at yesterdayusa.com. His studio telephone number is 714-545-2071, and his home address is 2527 Duke Place, Costa Mesa, California, 92626. I am Kim Bragg, and thanks for the memories, Walden. Cheerio, toodaloo. Thank you so much. Another public service announcement from Brill Cream. Men, beware. Use one dab of Brill Cream. Just a little dab makes your hair look excitingly clean, disturbingly healthy. This man dared to use two dabs. Now he's in trouble. We refuse to be responsible. Brill Cream. Brill Cream. Brill Cream. Brill cream, a little dab will do ya. Brill cream, you look so never there. Brill cream, the gals will offer to ya. Fill up to get their fingers in your hair. Brill cream, a little dab will do ya. Or watch out, the gals will offer to ya. Get Brill cream today. All right, get set for the Here comes the count. Five seconds. Countdown, baby. 
mailbox, he looks like we're ready. And if all goes as planned, we should land on Mars within 60 days. Just Earth men to travel in the space. Doctor Zeno, the whole world will be watching us today. And just think of it, it was a successful little mean the beginning of a brand new adventure. But we never ate close before. It won't fire. He's attacking something. Quick, my crew. Quickly, you check everything. Hold on, doctor. We know I know what we forgot. Stop. This, this is all we need to get to the planet Mars. Oh, quick, man. What is it? It's bubble up. What else? Stand by to bubble up. <laughs> cars in a nutshell. Best Bets Buick. See your nearest Buick dealer for complete details. Why are camels by far America's most popular cigarette? Two of the reasons are flavor and mildness. No other cigarette has camels rich, full flavor. And no other cigarette offers this proof of mildness. In a coast-to-coast test of hundreds of people with normal throats, noted throat specialists reported not one single case of throat irritation due to smoking camels. Try camels yourself. Then you'll know why camel leads all other brands by billions of cigarettes per year. What cigarette do you smoke, doctor? That question was asked a few years ago of 113,597 doctors. The brand name most was Camel. Recently, that question was again asked of tens of thousands of doctors across the country. Doctors in all branches of medicine. And again, the brand named most was Camel. Yes, according to these nationwide surveys, more doctors smoke Camels than any other cigarette. Friends, smoke the cigarette so many doctors enjoy. Change to Camel for 30 days and see how mild, how flavorful... How enjoyable a cigarette can be. Yes, change to Camels for 30 days, and you'll stay with Camels from then on. How mild, how mild, how mild can a cigarette be? Make the Camel 30-day test, and you'll see. Smoke Camels and To find out how well camels agree with the throats of smokers, this far-reaching test was made. Hundreds of people from coast to coast, people with normal throats, smoked only camels for 30 days. Each week, leading throat specialists examined the throats of these smokers. They made 2,470 examinations and reported not one single case of throat irritation. Due to smoking camels. Try camels for 30 days and see how mild, how flavorful, how enjoyable a cigarette can be. How mild, how mild, how mild mild can a cigarette be? Smoke camels and see. Here's Dick Powell with a special message. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the makers of camels have sent more than 198 million gift camels to our armed forces. This week, gift camels go to hospitalized servicemen and veterans at... Veterans Hospitals, Framingham, Massachusetts, and Durban, Michigan. U.S. Naval Hospital, San Diego, California. And to all hospitals operated for the U.S. Air Forces in the Far East. Now until next week, enjoy camels. I always do. I've heard so much about Magic Touch, Campana's new cream makeup. Is it so very different from other makeups? It's so different that you'll never believe how much prettier it will make you until you try it. Magic Touch is a cream complexion makeup that you apply with your fingertips. No powder puff, no water. You can use it anytime, anywhere. And it literally performs magic for your complexion. Gives you that new complexion loveliness that women are demanding today. The unmade-up 
Hi, this is Pat Matthews for Humphrey Camardella Productions with a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for all you Beatles fans. That Beatles collection of yours just won't be complete without the Pop Goes the Beatles limited edition collection. It's the Beatles like you've never heard them before. Not just the music, but never-before-released recording sessions, interviews, concerts, and a host of entertainment that's just not available anywhere else. And because of a special arrangement we've made with our sponsor for our listening audience, you're going to be able to purchase this complete 45 CD set of Pop Goes the Beatles, a regular $197, now only $179, shipping included. Or you can start your collection with Volume 1 for just $69.99. But remember, you must use the promo code POPCAST1 to get these great prices. We don't know how long this offer will continue, so don't miss out. Act today, and here's how you can do it. Call the toll-free number 1-888-9-BEATLE or go to BeatlesNetwork.com and order today.